Right. Um, I am incredibly excited to invite up this morning the lovely Esther. And if you don't know us, she's my wife, so that's why I'm putting my arm around her. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't met us before. Um, I'll just, just pray over her uh, this morning. I'm very excited for what she's going to bring um, this morning. So, Father God, thank you for Esther. Thank you for these words you have been feeding into her over the last few weeks, Lord. And um, I just speak over her this morning that she would hear your spirit and that the words that come out of her mouth would be the words that you want to implant in us this morning, Father, that anything else that's a distraction would just fade away, Lord, and that you would quicken the words that are for us this morning, Father, and open our hearts to receive those words. Amen. Thank you very much. Um, well, good morning, everybody. Yes, so um, uh, as Paul said, uh, my name's Esther. I'm married to Paul. We have two boys um, who are 15 and 11. Um, and you'll usually find us at the front, not because we like sitting at the front. We don't. Uh, not because we think we're important. We don't. Um, but because we have a role in supporting Mark and Cheryl, and they have asked us to be alongside them. So that's why you will find us here often, alongside Roger and Olive as well, who are much more... B team and we're C team, but they would say not, but that is true. Um, so I'm going to get cracking. I've got loads and loads of material, and um, I'm actually not sure I'm going to get through all of it. So if suddenly you think, well, that was a bit of an abrupt finish, that's why, because I might just not um, embark on um, some of what I've, I've spent a lot of time sort of thinking about for myself. But um, I, um, I found myself a while ago um, asking the question of how do I make sure I stay on course in my Christian walk? Um, I've, um, I've been a Christian as long as I can remember. I was brought up in a Christian family. Um, I'm 43, um, and um, oh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and I'm still here, and and I still hunger after God. Actually, I hunger for more and more of God, and I, I really I want to see more and more of His kingdom on earth. And um, but so it wasn't like a crisis of faith that led me to thinking this; just a, a sort of awareness. And I think it's really important that. We need to be aware of this because we have an enemy, and the enemy's entire design is to still kill, steal, kill, and destroy. And the main thing he wants is my relationship with Jesus, our relationship with Jesus. He wants to knock us off course. And um, Jesus warns us about this in lots of different ways. One way is the parable of the sower. Um, it's a lesson in how the enemy tries to steal the word from us at different points in this journey, right from the word go, um, sometimes the word um, just isn't understood. Sometimes it doesn't sink very deep into someone's heart, so it just gets plucked out, just doesn't take root. And, and Jesus explains all these things, and he explains about people just don't understand it, they've not really received it. Then there's a kind of general distractions of life, then there's cares and trials in life, um, and then you get sort of persecution and deceitfulness of riches. And so there are these constant sort of um, pitfalls on this path that he teaches us about. Um, in Matthew 7, 13, um, 14, um, he describes the really quite great effort that we have to put into enduring on this journey. Um, and he says, um, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. The message puts that same um, passage this way, he says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, exclamation mark, is vigorous and requires total attention. What is required is serious obedience. 
Um, they say that um, when you see these awful situations where Christians in very prominent positions sort of fall, that it's one of the three Gs, gold, girls, or glory. In other words, some sort of financial embezzlement, some sort of sexual impropriety, or quite frankly, just failing to give God the glory, getting a bit, you know, big in the head. And um, basically, they've forgotten about serious obedience. Um, and um, what's common to one is actually common to all. And I started to think about all of these things, all of the pitfalls that Jesus warned us about, all of the things that we see happening very, very sadly, and they're like really big wins for the enemy. I really, I, I just can't stand it when I see these things happen. And, you know, we, this is, people have got to be very sort of serious about this, this path, especially as they're getting, you know, if you're a very prominent position, it requires serious thought about how you're not going to fall into these things. Um, so my first sort of instinct was to go through each pitfall and find a biblical truth to kind of circumnavigate it and all these spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and tithing and forgiveness and everything that can combat one thing with another thing. And I thought, no, I, don't, I just don't think that's what God wants me to talk about this morning, although it's completely valid. And then I started thinking about our weapons of our warfare, which is what the kids are doing in kids' church at the moment, putting on the full armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith and so on. But again, I didn't feel like that was God, where God was leading me. Um, and then I started thinking, oh, I know. It's about being led by the Spirit. Um, and um, if we're all spirit, always spiritually minded, if we always have the mind of Christ, if we always operate fully in the Spirit, we'll stay on course, which, again, is true. And Roger spoke about that a bit last week. Um, and I just I was like, no, I just don't think this is what God wants me to talk about this morning. And it's weird because it was like totally valid practical, helpful, truthful things. But I, what I feel like God was talking to me about and what I'm going to talk about this morning um, is that he wants to talk about how we live in a healthy spiritual balance between different truths um, and to live and hold different truths in a positive, and I really hate using this word because it's got kind of negative connotations to it, but like a positive tension to both truths. Not to take a single good truth and um, kind of veer off with it and um, let it sort of just take us off on the wrong direction. So um, a bit like when they launch a space rocket, they don't just like hit and hope. They're constantly issuing little course corrections because a little sort of veering off leads to a massive mishit. So um, I, um, I feel like it's almost like guide ropes. And, and when I, well, I want to be clear, if you only hear one thing that I say this morning, I'm not talking about compromising I'm talking about word and word, not word and world. So um, it's not instead of taking practical biblical wisdom on how to navigate tricky situations. It's not instead of wearing the armor of God. It's not instead of being led by the Spirit. But all of these things are working together. And I just think maybe this balance thing is something we don't give so much thought to as those other issues. And it's not the perfect analogy, but God reminded me of um, kind of like a picture of something... We, um, we took the boys up to Go Ape in Thetford at the beginning of the summer holidays. And um, uh, if, you don't, if you don't know what this is, it's, um, it's a sort of obstacle course in the trees in a forest. And you, you climb up a rope ladder and you get to a platform and you have this harness on and you, you clip yourself onto these wires. And then between trees, you have to sort of navigate a different course between, between the trees. And... Um, it's called, they call it a treetop adventure, or we have the one that's called treetop challenge. And the clue should have probably have been in the word challenge. But, you know, I just sort of think, 
the marketing of the world today, you don't really believe all this stuff. You don't, it's like really going to be that challenging because, you know, you read the back of your shampoo bottle and it's like it's going to change the world. You know, marketing is such a thing. I was like, oh, how hard can it be? Anyway, so um, we, um, you know, we turned up for this thing. And um, obviously, first of all, you go dressed kind of appropriately. I did not wear a dress and sandals. You know, you wear your trainers and your leggings or whatever. You don't go in your stilettos and a cocktail dress. So, you know, it's a bit like wearing the armor of God. You know, you've got your, you're wearing the right thing. And then um, you get, as I say, you get this harness and you're, you're clipped on. And to me, this was like, you have to clip yourself on. And you get two clips. So in case... You, well, in case you fall when one, you know, theoretically, you're always attached by a clip, theoretically, if you're constantly clipping on. Now, I should also say that at the beginning of our session, um, a woman and her son were ahead of us. And her son, you know, the kids are great at this stuff. You know, like, they just get to the top. Mum climbs up. She gets to the top platform and she looks down and she panics. And she's like, I can't do this. So everyone has to back down again. Mum comes down. Son has to come down because you have to have a, an adult with you. So Paul, being Paul, says to this lady, don't worry, he can come round with us. So the instructor says, that's fine, but you have to sign for this child. You have to sign the disclaimer. You have to be responsible for this child. Paul's like, okay, fine. So Paul trots back to the cabin, comes back. I can't sign because I've already signed for our children, and you're only allowed to sign for two children, so you have to go and sign for this boy. So I'm like... Oh, okay, so I go back and I'm signing and I'm thinking, oh, I really hope this kid's going to be all right at this. Anyway, the point was, now I have to do this because I'm committed for this child. So I do what this woman does and I get to the first one. I'm like, ooh, this is actually a lot higher than I thought it was going to be. And I start on the first one and I'm like, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm really, I can see now why she didn't want to do this. And um, anyway, and the children... They just, they've got absolute confidence in their clipping ability, in all the mechanisms of it, and they're just zooming across these things, absolutely zooming across. And um, they don't mind if, you know, sometimes, and basically every obstacle between the trees is different. So sometimes it'd be like little rings and you've got to do this. Between, and sometimes they just don't even bother with it. They just sort of swing halfway across, totally, totally kind of spirit-led. They're attached all the time and they know they are. And they've got complete childlike faith in this thing. I, on the other hand, was just having kittens most of the time, quite frankly. And I should also mention, as the course goes on, it gets higher and higher and higher. So eventually, you, you know, I just, I just honestly, I was so proud of my certificate when I finished this exercise. I honestly, degrees, forget it. You know, this was an accomplishment. But um, periodically in these crossings, um, there would be wires on either side, and in my armor of God, I had gloves, because Paul's like, you might want to pair, bring a pair of gloves. And each time that there was wires on each time, I was like, okay, I'm clear. You know, it's like, a, and it was sort of an additional sort of aid for getting me across. And I just felt so much better when I had these crossing wires. It gave me security, it gave me guidance. If I had failed to be clipped on, I still would have probably stayed on is the point, probably. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you know, when someone's talking at the beginning and during the safety briefing, briefing and you're hearing words like risk of death and you're like, oh, surely not. And then you get up there and you're like, oh, that is a really long way. And, you know, anyway, so um, <laughs> that was not a very good advert for Go8, was it? But the point is, you know, you do go dressed appropriately, you are clipped on, but actually it's really useful to have something else as well to hold on to and stay in between. 
so I'm talking about the staying in between bit. So what do I mean by spiritual balance? Well, last time I spoke, I talked about being yoked with Jesus and how in this yoking, um, he offers rest for the weary, but there's a sort of working element to it. He expects us to do our part as that weaker party. It's a working role that offers rest and peace. And to an untuned ear, that sounds like a contradiction, a kind of a paradox, but it's not. And it's an example of spiritual, um, a sort of healthy spiritual tension. And I tried to explain that it was easy for me to get my head around this because marriage is also a yoking. And even though I know that I am the sort of weaker party in our marriage, I know that I've also got a really important role to play. And actually, even when you're working alongside your spouse, hopefully it's actually just quite good fun and you enjoy being in their company. And I think that's what it's like with Jesus. Even when you're working with Jesus, hopefully it's still good fun and you're enjoying being in their company. Um, so um, the, um, let's look at some more examples of spiritual balance. Um, I think I'm going to start with what I've called the balance biggies. Um, so the very foundations of our salvation are based on both the goodness of God, his grace, and our decision to accept his gift, which is our faith. We are saved by grace, through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 10. Grace through faith. You need a balance of the two. And, you know, we probably can't hear enough about grace, his goodness, his faithfulness, his unconditional love, his payment, his sacrifice. And yet, if that's all there was to it, everybody would be saved. So we do have free will, which means we have to choose to believe and receive so Andrew Womack puts it really um, nicely. He says, without faith, God's grace is wasted. Without grace, faith is powerless. And he's got a really good book on all this, and it's called something like Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith. That's one aspect. But there are some other really fundamental ways that I think we need to hold a sort of spiritual balance, these things. And a really big one for me is how we relate to God. Because Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we know that we can approach his throne with complete confidence because we're washed in the blood of Jesus. And that's become completely normal to us now. And that's a really, that's a really good thing. But it's utterly radical because God is still the great I am, the creator of the universe. He exists outside time. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's completely holy. And we just, I, I haven't got the words to articulate quite the awe it should inspire in us. You know, when you see um, those cameras going up from the earth and you think there's me like ant here and it's going up and up and up and you've got the galaxies and, you know, and God somewhere is up there outside of it, outside of time and he's just awesome. So yes, he says, call us, call, he says, call me father and yet he's still this amazing person who actually our awe and our reverence should be... Um, in proportion to his awesomeness. I don't know how else to put it. And I just wonder if in our age that it's something we need to renew our minds to a bit is God as, as both and holding these things together, this indescribable holiness. And um, when Jesus taught us to pray, he, it's interesting, he starts, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's holding the two things together. And I just, do we always hold those two things together? So let's keep going. And um, what about word and spirit? Because I noticed that churches tend to prioritize one over the other, but we need both. The word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But Jesus commanded the disciples not to leave Jerusalem, not to start their journey until they received the Holy Spirit. We need a balance of the two. 
Sometimes there's a time to wait on God's leading, and sometimes it's just a case of getting on with what he told us to do in his word. And I read a really good quote, and I couldn't find who, um, who this is from, so um, uh, sorry I've not credited this person, but I really liked it. I thought it was quite good. It says, if you have the word, but not the spirit, you will dry up. If you have the spirit, but not the word, you will blow up. If you have the spirit and the word, you will grow up. And I just thought that was really good. Have you heard that before, June? Yeah, okay. I like that. There were my balance biggies about being yoked with Jesus means resting in him and working alongside him. There's grace and faith as the basis of our salvation. And there's God as Abba Father and Holy Creator. And the holding together of both word and spirit. But this principle of spiritual balance also applies in a quite a practical day-to-day way as well. And I want to look at a couple of those now. Um, my favorite is from Matthew 10, 16, which says, Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, this is in the context of the disciples being sent out in twos, and he tells them they're sheep, like sheep among wolves. And I really like this verse because it shows that we're meant to be kind and loving and generous and all the other things that I think the world kind of knows Christians are meant to be. It's like they've read our rule book and sometimes I think they sort of use it against you. They'll be like, oh, you're a Christian, you've got to do this for me or whatever. But it also suggests something that I'm quite convinced about in my spirit and it's that we're not called to be doormat Christians. There is a balance between helping people, going the extra mile, yes, turning the other cheek, not retaliating. That's Matthew 5, you know, turning the other cheek. We forgive and But when Jesus sent his disciples out in Matthew 10, he tells them that when they persecute in this city, flee to another. We don't have to stay in a place where someone's abusing us. Um, So there's this kind of balance of always, and you know, it's useful if you're listening to the Spirit as well, but there is a balance to these things. What about money? It's a pretty practical topic and one where it's quite easy for people to take a biblical truth to an extreme because it hasn't been held in balance with other biblical truths. And, um, you know, I don't hear so much about it nowadays, but there was a big sort of um, phase of people, um, what are people called the prosperity sort of gospel thing. And um, people got a bit upset that people were getting carried away with asking for cars and houses and you know, all this stuff, and people were using things like Mark eleven twenty four. whatsoever you ask in prayer, believe you've received it and it'll be yours. Um, or 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that tells us that Jesus gave up his riches and became poor in order that in our poverty we could be made rich. And um, so some of this does depend on what we call poverty and what we call riches. You know, having shelter and access to a flushing toilet and enough food for the day actually puts you among the richest people in the world. But, you know, I think some people think that they've asked amiss or with the wrong motive and so on and so forth. And, you know, it's a tricky line. But personally, I would much rather give people the benefit of the doubt and let them get on with their enjoying of their stuff and assume that God was actually really pleased to bless that person, that they're blessed because they blessed others, blessed the kingdom, blessed the kingdom financially, that they're seeking first the kingdom of God and all these things are being added to them, that they've relied on God. I I just, I personally, I'm quite happy to let people get on with it. And by the same token, I've seen people who've worried so much about becoming too wide to fit through the eye of a needle or tripping over the deceitfulness of riches. Um, They don't, you know, they say things, oh, I don't want to treat God like Father Christmas and all this sort of thing that they actually just go without. And, um, you know, I've honestly seen people give up professional jobs and become reliant on other people, reliant on society, because they honestly were so convinced by some of these warnings about deceitfulness of riches and that sort of thing, that they just opt out. And there's sort of, there's a lot of problems with that, because 
you know, the Bible promotes hard work and principles of reward. And the problem is, if you haven't got anything, you can't bless anybody. You can't help other people in need. And it just seems really sad to me that people would choose to miss out on the benefits of being a child of God. I, per- I, I love the stories in the Bible of the kind of Old Testament wealth of Abraham and David and Solomon and um, some of the New Testament kind of over-the-top miracles where, you know, they don't just cast their net on the other side and get enough fish. They get so many fish, the boat's being pulled into the water. And, um, you know, they, when they have enough food for the 5,000, there's baskets of bread and fish left over. So this sort of extravagance to it, although the miraculous water turned into wine was better than the wine they had at the beginning. And I just, I just love that sort of aspect of God's heart, this extravagance and this over-the-topness. And um, I just, I think, you know, there's a balance to be had in this stuff that it's wise to examine our hearts and ask if certain desires are pleasing to God and am I blessing people with what I have? Is my first priority seeking God? Um, do I have the maturity to manage what I'm asking for? Will it bring me nearer to God or will it make me rely more on myself? And then there's other questions like, you know, have I held offense in my heart because of other people's blessings? Am I scared of disappointment? Have I trusted God with my finances? Am I honoring God or trying to be relying on myself? And the person, I, the story I like most in the Bible is Nebuchadnezzar, who had so much, and it, it wasn't a problem until he suddenly looked around and was like, oh, yeah, look at all this for my glory. Look what I've done. Suddenly then, you're like a beast in the field. But the beast in the field, as soon as he realizes, actually... That was God, my provisions from God. Back up, you know, it's about the heart, isn't it? It's about the heart. And I just, my point is, I don't want people to get upset. I know this upsets people, but there's a balance on this stuff. If we take all of the scriptures together and we hold them all together so they guide our decision-making, we can enjoy being the benefits of being children of God without becoming too wide to fit through the eye of the needle. That, you know, that is a possibility. Let's, let's pray it is a possibility. So I'm um, just going to see how we're doing for time. Are we all right? Okay. Um, I would say for me, the most challenging um, aspect of holding all these things together is um, perhaps as we grow in spiritual maturity, as we get higher up and higher up, um, that sometimes there is some um, uncomfortable stuff. There's some very uncuddly stuff that Jesus calls us into. And I I, I, I tend to lean on this side of like, I that you know, we, we enjoy the comfort and security of knowing God's unconditional love, his compassion, and learning to receive all the good things that he has for us. Um, while also sort of reading some of these things um, about denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him and accepting that we'll be hated by all for his name's sake and being required to love him more than we love our families. And these are all just from Matthew 10. That's one one. A chapter of one book and you know I'm not even touching on pruning and disciplining and it's not cuddly and I thought Nathan Taylor when he came recently put it really beautifully because he said that when we say yes to Jesus it should mean we're saying no to a thousand other things Um, and he just um, (sighs) yeah you just um, I I just don't want to make sure I just want to make sure that when I'm in that place of comfort, that I actually am not ending up in a place of complacency. Um, and I think it comes down to our identity as a child of God, really. Like, do we see some of these as an affront to our idea that it's God's job to make us comfortable? You know, we live in a generation where 
People want to be affirmed. And God does affirm us because he calls us his children. But he also wants to transform us. And it's, and it's not a negative thing. Let's just look a little bit at the woman caught in the act of adultery. Um, it's John 8, verse 3. Um, this story is, I just have, I have loads of questions about this. I'm always, they, this group of men have dragged this woman caught in the very act. So we don't really know what she's wearing, but presumably not much. And where's the man who was presumably also caught in the act of adultery? He doesn't seem to be there. And what does Jesus write in the dust? We don't really know. It's all, it's all really, really interesting story. Um, but this is horrible, horrible spectacle where this woman's been dragged in front of Jesus and they're trying to catch Jesus out because, you know, she's been caught sinning and this is the consequences. You're going to get stoned to death, which has got to be one of the most horrible, horrible ways to die. Um, and, um, you know, you hear this bit read in churches where it says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And I feel like it's all read with one breath, like, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Like, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, and he's not condemning her. But he does say, go and sin no more. You know, I wonder, what would we say, what does the world say now in these situations? Does it say, hmm, well, you do deserve to be happy, Oh, well, what was your other marriage like? Uh, you know, and it makes it very complicated because actually he just says, you're not condemned, but you need transformation. You know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm affirming you as my child. I'm not condemning you, but there is, there is transformation needed. He's the perfect father. He does redirect us, and it's not always massively comfortable when he redirects us. He does delight in meeting our needs. He does want to bless us. He does love us. He does heal us. He just doesn't always love our choices. And I just wonder how comfortable are we at hearing both of these things, living between both of these things? You know, I think about Peter um, in Matthew 16, 13. He's got this incredibly close relationship with Jesus. And they have this interaction where, um, you know, Jesus is saying, who do they say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you know, you are the, you are the um, Jesus, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, oh, you know, blessed are you, flesh and blood's not revealed to you, this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And he gets this massive, like, 10 out of 10 from Jesus, this gold star. Well done, you've got spiritual revelation. And, you know, I'm just, you know, thinking, oh, we don't like that. We'd like Jesus to give us, like, oh, well done. And then... It, and this is, must be moments later. Certainly everything I've read on it agrees it's on the same day. Jesus starts telling them that he's got to suffer and be killed and that he's going to rise on the third day. And Peter says, um, oh, no, Jesus, we'll, you know, I'll stand by you. We don't want that to happen to you. Which, oh, funny, it's the sort of thing I'd say. You know, I'd like, oh, no, that sounds awful. No, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to stand with you. you know? And Jesus says, and of the harshest words to him, he says, get behind me, Satan, you're an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And um, it's hard not to have a lot of sympathy for Peter here, um, because he's just, he's sort of, you've got something really right, and you've got something really wrong. And don't we sometimes get stuff really right, and sometimes get stuff really wrong? And he's sort of like this idea that, you know, you're either agreeing with me, or you're agreeing with Satan. It's quite, it's a big way of putting it, and I just wonder... 
are we mature enough in this area? Do we have that balance about being able to hear that voice? And I, I'm, there's a modern dilemma here because people don't like correction. Um, they never really have, but they particularly don't now. And there's, oh, I mean, there's a whole massive topic about the Holy Spirit doesn't convict believers of sin. It is true, he convicts the world of one sin, and that is the sin of um, not believing in Jesus. That's in John 16, 8. Um, and we don't lose our salvation when we sin, and we don't lose the Holy Spirit, and we don't lose God's love. But sin does harm us, and doesn't a good father call his sons and daughters back from danger? So my view is that we need to get much better at differentiating between the voices that we hear. When you're hearing the voice of condemnation and accusation, you'll never be good enough. This time you've gone too far to be redeemed. If people knew what you did the other day, blah, blah, blah. It's rubbish. That's the accuser. That is not God. That is not the Holy Spirit. Then there's the voice of our own conscience. And it says in the um, passage about the woman in the court in the act of adultery that the other men were convicted by their conscience. And sometimes that is not a bad thing to hear your conscience. But then there's a different voice, and it's a quiet voice of redirection that calls us back and away from sin. And it's always calling you into a deeper love with him because he first loved you. He first loved us, and he loves us into eternity. Before I, I hand back over to Paul, I just want to um, read you a quote that I thought was just brilliant, that kind of, I think sums up what I'm trying to say about this identity in Christ. And identity is under attack in all sorts of ways at the moment, isn't it? But we've got to be rock solid, to steal the expression, in our knowledge of our identity in Christ. And it, I think it does come back to a perfect spiritual balance. Um, so this is from a chap called Tim Keller, who I'd never heard of before, but apparently he's written like 75 books and, oh, you're nodding, and headed up a mega church in America. I don't think he's alive anymore, but it was just brilliant. Um, and he said this, he said, the Christian gospel is that I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. If I was to change one thing about that, I think it's a really good quote. Like, forgive me for, you know piggybacking on what someone else has done. It's really good. Yeah, it's not scripture. I can add to it. I, I'm going to read it one more time. I'm going to add what I think at the end. So, the Christian gospel is so flawed. It, the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I don't think of myself, I don't think more of myself nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less and I think of Jesus more. Okay. That was not as long as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> just stay, 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 stay. Oh. Thanks, Esty. Um, I just felt as Esther was uh, speaking then that. 
Um, the, 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 there's someone here, or maybe more than one person here, um, that really is feeling condemned. That you wake up in the morning and you just have this sense of, I'm not good enough, I'm not... You know, the, 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 all this stuff from the past, that that's just weighing you down. Yeah. And um, if that's you... Um, it, it, then please just come out and we will happily pray for you we'll get the, perhaps the worship team anyone that's left from the worship team that isn't on kids and stuff uh, if you perhaps are able just to, to, to come back up that would be um, superb so if you um, if you just feel that, that there's, there's stuff that's weighing you down that is a lie uh, that is that is not actually the truth of God that he loves you that he's redeemed you from everything in the past everything no matter all the stuff that, that other people know about all the stuff that no one else knows yeah. about redeemed yeah. fully Okay, so if that's you, then I'll just invite you to, to come and we'll, we'll just like to break that off you um, here um, this morning. Um, but um, you're welcome to stay and worship. Um, there's tea and coffee um, at the back. Uh, it's been fantastic to, to, to see you all um, and look forward to uh, seeing you all uh, next week. Thank you.